So happy Earth Day, everyone. Um, my name is Jenny Morgan, and I'm the director of Baltimore Greenworks. And, oh, stop it. And, and tonight I'd like to thank you for coming to our Sustainable Speaker Series. It's a great partnership that we've had for about five or six years with the Pratt Library. We'd like to thank Dr. Hayden, Judy Cooper, and Teresa, who's working with us tonight, for being so supportive of our events. This week is Green Week, Baltimore Green Week. It's a week of programs happening all around the city. Still to come, even though we're in the middle of the week, still to come are community cleanups, there's green school event, green buildings, sustainable food conversations, green space planning, tree plantings, and much more. We have program guides outside on the table, so be sure to take one. And also, if you didn't sign in, please do that. This evening's program is particularly special because it's happening on Earth Day during Green Week and highlights an issue that everyone deals with and how one person who cared used her passion and imagination to tackle and overcome it. Tonight we welcome Miranda Paul and Isato Cisse here to talk about their book, One Plastic Bag, Isato Cisse and the Recycling Women of the Gambia. It tells the inspiring story of five women who creatively dealt with their village's tr plastic trash problem. Despite limited resources and ridicule, Isato and her friends persevered for more than a decade, eventually realizing economic empowerment through their recycled plastic purse project. It's a wonderful story about how ordinary people who care and find the way to make positive change in the world. Miranda Paul is a children's author who is passionate about creating inspiring stories for young people that broaden their horizons while entertaining them. She's worked as a teacher, volunteer zookeeper, and freelance writer. She is also a thrill seeker, and one of her bravest moments involves poetry inside a crocodile pit. You'll have to tell us about that. Um, Isatu Cisse is an environmental activist who didn't call out the problems, she called out the solutions. She has faced challenges early in her life, from losing her father to being forced to quit school early. Determined never to let her circumstances limit her potential, Isatu saw the world as her classroom. In the late 1990s, she teamed up with the U.S. Peace Corps volunteer Peggy Sedlak and four Gambian women to tackle the growing plastic bag problem. Ridiculed at first, the women and a few men have now recycled countless plastic bags and formed a cooperative organization promoting health, education, and environmental issues. Please give a warm welcome to Miranda Paul and Isatu Cisse. Well, thank you. That was a great introduction. And I'd like to thank Baltimore Greenworks and the people at the Enoch Pratt Library for inviting Isatu and me to speak tonight, which is Earth Day. So again, happy Earth Day. Um, I was fairly young when Earth Day began, so I can't remember a lot of time before Earth Day, but I can say that it's working. Um, I, I, can, I guess I call myself maybe a product of, of, of the Earth Day and environmental movements. Um, but that brings me to tonight's focus on um, empowering women, educating women, and worldwide, and also protecting the environment and how it goes hand in hand, which is uh, one of the main themes, obviously, of this book is that it's a demonstration of how women and the environment empowering one protects the other. So I'd like to begin just by reading the book. I realize that there aren't any children, young children in the audience today, but if you'll humor me, I think that reading the book will give you the sense of how, how dramatic Isotu's story really is um, and, the, and bring you sort of to the Gambia, um, which maybe some of you have never been there. So I'd like to just begin with one plastic bag. Njiao, Gambia. Isatu walks with her chin frozen. Fat raindrops pelt her bare arms. Her face hides in the shadow of a palm leaf basket, and her neck stings with every step. 
Warm scents of burning wood and bubbling peanut stew drift past. Her village is close now. She lifts her nose to catch the smell. The basket tips. One fruit tumbles, then two, then ten. The basket breaks. Isotute kicks the dirt. Something silky dances past her eyes, softening her anger. It moves like a flag, flapping in the wind, and settles under a tamarind tree. Isotue slides the strange fabric through her fingers and discovers it can carry things inside. She gathers her fruits in the bag. The basket is useless now. She drops it, knowing it will crumble and mix back in with the dirt. Four goats greet Isotu as Grandmother Mbombe emerges from her kitchen hut. Hurry in before the rain soaks your beautiful Mbuba. Isotu scurries in and Grandmother serves spicy rice and fish. Rain drums on the creaking aluminum roof. I broke your basket, Isotu confesses, but I found this. Plastic, Grandmother frowns. There's more in the city. Day after day, Isotu watches neighbors tote their things in bright blue or black plastic bags. Children slurp water and wanjo from tiny holes poked in clear bags. Market trays fill with minties wrapped in rainbows of plastic. The colors are beautiful, she thinks. She swings her bag high. The handle breaks. One paper escapes, then two, then ten. Isotu shakes sand off her papers. Another plastic bag floats by, and she tucks her things inside. The torn bag is useless now. She drops it to the dirt, as everyone does. There's nowhere else to put it. Day after day, the bag she dropped is still there. One plastic bag becomes two, then ten, then a hundred. Plastic isn't beautiful anymore, she thinks. Her feet step down a cleaner path, and the thought floats away. Years pass, and Isotu grows into a woman. She barely notices the ugliness growing around her until the ugliness finds its way to her. Isotu hears a goat crying and hurries toward grandmother's house. Why is it tied up? Where are the other goats? Inside, the butcher is speaking in a low voice. Many goats have been eating these, he says. The bags twist around their insides, and the animals cannot survive. Now three of your goats and so many other goats in the village have died. Grandmother Mbombe's powerful shoulders sag. Isotu must be strong and do something. But what? Isotu's feet lead her to the old, ugly road. A pile of garbage stands as wide as Grandmother's cooking hut. Mosquitoes swarm near dirty pools of water alongside the pile. Smoke from burning plastic stings her nose. Her feet back away. Goats scamper past. They forage through the trash for food. Her feet stop. She knows too much to ignore it now. Holding her breath, she plucks one plastic bag from the pile, then two, then ten, then a hundred. What can we do? Isitu asks her friends. Let's wash them, says Fatim, pulling out almost soap. Maram grabs a bucket and Incha fetches water from the well. Peggy finds clothespins and they clip the washed bags on the line. As the bags dry, Isitu watches her sister crochet. Can you teach me? Wow, yes. Her sister shows Isitu the stitches, then hands her a metal tool. Isitu's fingers busy themselves in, out, around. Jared Jeff, thank you. Isitu finds a broomstick and carves her own tool from its wood. What's that for? Fatim asks. Isitu pauses. She and Peggy have an idea. But will their friends think it's crazy? Will the idea even work? Nervously, she explains the plan.
One friend agrees to help, then two, then five. The women cut bags into strips and roll them into spools of plastic thread. Before long, they teach themselves how to crochet with this thread. Nakali Gebi asks grandmother, how's the work? Nanka, nanka, answers Isatu. Slow. Some people in the village laugh at us. Others call us dirty. But I believe what we are doing is good. The women crochet by candlelight, away from those who mock them, until a morning comes when they will no longer work in secret. Fingers sore and blistered, Isatu hauls the recycled purses to the city. One person laughs at her, then two, then ten. Then one woman lays the lassi coins on the table. She chooses a purse and shows it to one friend. Then two, then ten. Soon, everyone wants one. Isidu fills her own purse with Delassi. She zips it shut and rides home to tell grandmother she has made enough to buy a new goat. When she passes by the pile of rubbish, she smiles because it is smaller now. She tells herself one day it will be gone and my home will be beautiful. And one day, it was. And this Isatu Sise is here from West Africa, the person who did this. And I've seen the village of Njau, and I'm so proud of the fact that it's clean. It's eradicated of plastic bags. So thank you, Isatu. So briefly here, I want to talk about the book, um, and then I'd like to move on to interviewing Isatu. The jacket flap synopsis of the book, One Plastic Bag, says a lot in its first line. It says, plastic bags are cheap and easy to use. Cheap, easy, convenient. From my perspective, one plastic bag is more than a book. It's a look at how cheap, easy, and convenient have become more of a priority for us over quality, craftsmanship, and a consideration of humans and the environment. For me, one plastic bag is a celebration of creativity, ingenuity, and women's empowerment. It's a conversation starter for global issues. But wait, isn't one plastic bag just a picture book, you know, meant for little kids? Can elementary age children really glean so much from a storybook or a pro possibly process such big global ideas such as these? The thing is, in many countries, we don't give kids or women or girls the credit and opportunity they deserve when it comes to content material. I have a six-year-old and I have a nine-year-old and in case you don't have children in your lives, I'll let you in on a little secret. Kids love to eavesdrop on, a, eaves, excuse me, kids love to eavesdrop on adult conversations. Why? They're curious about the world, the real world, not the ones that we create for them to protect their innocence. And the truth is, as I'm sure you agree with me, they deserve to know the real world. And the real world is this. We're facing surmounting environmental problems everywhere on the globe. Children also deserve to know the other aspect of this is that we live in a time where technology allows us to unite together and change things for the better. We can do something about this problem and we have to let children know this. We have to let everyone know this. On our side of the Atlantic Ocean in America, the average person apparently takes 300 plastic bags a year. Now, I'm not sure any of us in this room would consider ourselves average in that regard. In fact, I gather that many of us would argue how we're better than average in that regard. But whatever amount that we take of plastic bags, there's no denying that plastic has become synonymous with our culture of convenience. 
In my research about plastic, I've come across uh, hundreds of startling statistics, including the ones that humans throw away enough trash each year to circle the earth four times, that only 2% of plastic bags actually get recycled, and a data map that shows how in America, we've had more plastic bag referendums rejected or overturned than anywhere else in the world. But let, tonight we're traveling across the Atlantic, and we're going to talk about the Gambia. The Gambia is Africa's smallest country, and there are no plastic bag factories in the Gambia. I'll just repeat that. No plastic bag factories in the Gambia. And yet there's a plastic bag crisis. Goats have been dying, gardens have been strangled, um, malaria-carrying mosquitoes breed in the pools of rain that collect in the plastic trash. Children have died from consuming plastic as even things like wandro juice, which is like Kool-Aid, is packaged in it. And several new cases of cancer are speculated to be related to people burning their plastic trash. Despite all of these health challenges and many other cultural challenges that we'll talk about tonight, the women of Njau, Gambia, recycle nearly 100% of the plastic bags that come into their village. These women are being the change, and we need to learn from them. When I first traveled to the Gambia, I didn't set out to write a book for children. IC2 Story found me. I couldn't not write it. Here was a woman living in a male-dominated society who was educated through ninth grade, but yet she started a recycling and income generation project that would end up so successful, the UN Development Project and other international groups would contract her and other women to lead waste management initiatives in the larger villages in the country. I had to tell this story to the world, and One Plastic Bag also happens to be the first traditionally published picture book in the US about a real Gambian woman. We aren't seeing the full scope, at least not through literature and the media, about how things really are in Africa, and we all suffer because of it. Although environmental reasons may be why she started the project, and the reason I feel compelled to write about it, there's a bigger picture when we step back, and that picture is the connection between women in developing countries, such as the Gambia and the environment. I'm not the first person to realize this, and I won't be the last, but there's something really remarkable that happens when women become educated, supported, and have the opportunity to generate income. Over the past 12 years of traveling to and from the Gambia, I've seen lots of projects come and go. I've seen businesses start up and close shop. But IC2's project, the Women Initi Women's Initiative of the Gambia, has been going for 17 years since it started with the five women you saw in this book. As I interviewed those women for the book, I heard the same thing over and over. This project has given them confidence. Their main goals are for their family, for their health, and for our environment. Ngozi Okonjo-Awela, a Nigerian woman who worked for the IMF for 21 years, had this to say about women in Africa. Women are diligent, they're focused, and they work hard. I've seen it with my own eyes, and not just in Africa, but in other developing countries. I also agree with Ngozi's words when she talks about opportunities to invest in Africa. She says, those who miss the boat now miss the boat forever. We can't miss this boat. Our environment and our world's women need us. There's a line in one plastic bag that says, she knows too much to ignore it now. This powerful quote was actually pointed out to me by a reviewer after the book came out. I had quite forgotten that I had written it. But every day, we learn more about environmental problems or issues relating to women's education or empowerment. Ignoring things is cheap. Ignoring things is easy. Ignoring things is convenient. 
If there's anything you can take away from one plastic bag, my long babbling speech tonight, and all of the eco campaigns that are going on here in Baltimore and beyond, it's that cheap and easy and convenient isn't working. It's not working for environment, and it's not working for women. In Wolof, Isatu's language, if someone asks you how your work is coming along, the standard response is, danka danka, slowly, slowly. It's something I've come to take to heart because when we slow down, we listen better, and when we listen better, we become better. And right now, the world could use more people who are at their best. So I'd like to let us listen to what Isatu Cissé has to say so we can all be better to each other and our earth. And we're going to do an interview with Isatu now. Thank you. Isatu, maybe you can begin by telling everybody the name of your women's project in the Gambia. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm so happy to be here. And being here today, it reminds me when I started my project with five people. And then if you look at the chairs, they are not full, but I'm so confident with the people that we have because they are so committed about what, you know, why they are here. So I think together we can make a change. And the name of my organization is Women Initiative de Gambia. Thank you. So the book starts with you as a young teen, but I happen to know that the roots of your empowerment and education, as well as the challenges you faced, began very early on in your childhood. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about you as a child and growing up? Uh, what I first want to explain is about myself and where I was, where I born, and where I was, you know, grow up. You know, my parents, they are refugees from Mali, and I came to settle in a, in a village called Njao. And then when I started the project, so many people, they were saying that I'm too young to start the project, number one. Number two, they were saying that I'm a woman, I cannot lead a project, but I take that as a challenge. And then I was working very hard, and working very hard, my mom, I look at my mom when I was very young. My father died when I was nine, and I mom, my mom worked very hard to send me to school and make sure that she always motivated me to do things better. So that's where I learned, that's the point that I take. And I believe that women can make a change and together we can make a big difference because women, they are so caring and they are really committed to whatever they want to do. Okay. So you talked about starting the recycling project and you started it in your early 20s. Um, you started that after, just a few years after having to drop out of school. Can you tell us more about the specific environmental problems that you saw and how, why you felt you had to clean the plastic and what it took to convince other people to work with you? You know, for me, I am a person who really like, you know, learning so many different new things. And when I finished from grade nine, like grade nine today, but it was form four at that time. So I was really happy because when I was even in school, I do a lot of, you know, environmental issues. I love them so much because I love the environment. So when I was coming home, I was really happy that when I come home, I will have a package of money to go back and, you know, you know, further my education. But when I came home, I explained everything to my mom. She came out plainly and tell me I can make it because I have no funding to send you to go and hire your education. And I really appreciate it. What I did was I sit back and I think about what should I do next. And I look around, when my mom is cooking, she used plastic bags to light his fire, her fire, sorry. And then I saw, saw so many people, when they clean their backyard, they put everything together and they burn it. And I believe that what, the reason why they are doing that, my mom, I think she was 
you know, want to make her work faster. That's what she was thinking. And then those who were cleaning their environment and put them together and burn it, their intention was to make their environment clean so that they would be safe to have good health. That's what they were thinking. And then, you know, people, when they finish with plastic, they throw them away. And they throw them a little bit far from their, their areas. And what they are thinking that time is to, you know, for it to go away from their environment. But they never think that animals can come, come across with them and they can eat them. And then at the end of the day, they will die. So these are the old things that I come across and I said, wow, now I need to, you know, start thinking about what can I do to make a change. But that time it was very difficult because people, they were even know, they, were ne they never know the difference of what, I'm, what I was saying. That was the biggest challenge that I have. But I really feel that I need to take it because in any changes that anybody wants to do, you need to have an expectation because there will be difficulties and you have to make a plan of how to overcome those difficulties. And I take it and I, you know, work very hard to make sure that I educate other people so that we can work together to make a change. So how did you convince them that plastic, burning it, or that the animals were eating it, how did you convince them that plastic was really a problem? You know, as I said, I love connection and I need, you know, I love asking people. You know, if I, when I first time saw my mom burning plastic, when I was inhaling the, the smoke, I find it very difficult and I cough a lot. So I asked people next to me who is working on the medical and health. And that person told me that this is very dangerous. It can cause heart, heart cancer and then it can cause so many diseases. That will be very difficult to cure, number one. And number two, I realized that when plastic is on the floor, it can stay there for longer. And water can stay there. And then that's the way animal, uh, uh, how to call it? Uh, mosquitoes, they can lay their eggs and it spread to us and they bite us and we have malaria. And malaria is a big disease that, you know, a big headache for us in Africa. It's very, it's very dangerous, especially for pregnant women and the younger ones. They can easily die before they get access to hospitals. And some of our hospitals before that time is a little bit far, from, far apart. So these are the things that I look around and I said, this thing is something that, you know, we need to work on and see how best we can make a change. Okay, good. So explain what it's like when you started the project. You had just a few women and then slowly more women would join on. But explain what it was like for the women at the time and maybe a little bit about what it's like for women and women's roles in the Gambia as you started this project. You know, when I started the project, the first meeting that I have with uh, my peaceful counterpart, Peggy Sedlak, the first training that we have as ISD in Senegal, you know, in Senegal, a village called Nyoro, you know, what we did was we were training on waste management and proper waste management. So, you know, all of us, you know, circle the garbage, and then they assign us to pick one thing that we think is decomposable, and then we try to make something out of it. We pick plastic bag, and when I came back, I was working very hard with it. But the first meeting that I called from the village, I call each compound, all of them to come at the middle of the village so we discuss about the issue. But they all turn back because they say that I'm not feeling well. I'm, not, I'm crazy. So they were so mad of me. But I was so lucky that I have five women who really sign in and say that we want to work with you. We want to, you know, we want to learn what you, we want to learn from you, the idea that you get and how can we make a change. So working with those five women, and today we have 95 women who are working with, 95 people who are working with us. And then that time, what the men were thinking, 
because it's only women who are sitting together and discuss about issues. So what they were thinking is I'm trying to empower women and they, believe, they think that if I empower the women, they will never respect them as men. That is what they were thinking and that was not the case. The case was how can we bring women on board? Because they are intelligent and they are dedicated and they are always willing. And they are committed and whatever they are committed, they stick into it. So that is why I think link women and uh, environmental issues is very powerful. Because whatever they learn, they are always ready to shift it down to their families. Okay, so you started the plastic bags. You had the problems in the beginning, a little bit of pushback from the men and even the women in the village thinking you're dirty or crazy or this and that. But then people started joining. You started generating income. And people started seeing that the project was having some success, making a dent in those plastic bag dustbins piles, and also um, in terms of just the income generation. So since that project, when you started recycling the plastic bags, how has it branched out into other projects, and what is the impact now? I mean, now you can look at it 17 years later and sort of say, what is the impact for women? What is the impact for the environment? And what other projects has this led to? You know, when I'm, when I'm talking about the project, I always use myself as a sample. Because when I started the project, I didn't finish my education, and I was really in for the project. But based on the resources that I get and the education that I get from the project, it really empowered me. It gives me confidence. Because before I started this project, I cannot do what I'm doing today. I cannot sit here and talk to you and look at you. It was very difficult with me. But because of the project, it built my confidence. And it gives me, you know, motivation. And it gives me uh, skill of interaction. And it gives me, you know, what is the importance of togetherness. Because I believe that togetherness, we can make so many differences. We can make so many impacts. And that is what the women also feel. Because the women, they feel that now they are empowered. They feel that they are really, you know, they, their confidence is built. Because now they, the women, they have confidence to sit with their husband and talk about issues, which was not happening before. And it built both of us. The men also, now they realize the importance of women. Because before... All projects are given by women, men. Men were ruling everything. And it was very difficult for them to make an impact. But now, because of this project, they know the importance of women and what we can do as women. And what is the importance of togetherness? Because before, you know, based on my experience, it's very hard to see a husband and a wife sit together and discuss about issues. The men, they will decide and say, do it in this way, do it in that way. And we follow. But what I always tell the men is, you have partners. And you have partners who are very intelligent. You have partners who are very dedicated. Please don't lose this opportunity. Try to make good use of us. Let's work together. Togetherness, we can make it happen. And that is what the women have, and that is how we implement the project, and it's, it, it's still happening. Because we started this project since 1997 with a PISCO volunteer. And there are so many projects that PISCO started, and it's not working when they leave. But because of the education that they give us and the opportunity that they give us to take the lead, you know, things is working, working still, because we know our problems as women. You know, all the problems that we are facing, we know it. And there are so many roles that is, you know, there are so many success that is taking place in all situations. Women contribute a lot. But, you know, we are always, you know, they are always pushing us behind. Sometimes we do a good thing. And then when they are, you know, when they are trying to reveal the impact, they will not label our names. They will say this is done by somebody different from women. And we are the background who is really moving things. 
So I said it's better, you know, now they give us the credit and give us the opportunity so, so that we can be creative to pull what we have and then we put it together to make, the life, make life easier for both of us. Okay. So one of those new projects that you started together um, with the men and putting women in the project is the beekeeping project. Can you very briefly talk about what the men's method of beekeeping was before and a little bit about how your method of beekeeping is uh, helping to save the bees in Gambia? You know, based on the project, I always talk about the project One Plastic Bag. And then One Plastic Bag, I use it as a umbrella for, for us as women in the Gambia because there are so many problems that we are facing. And it's very difficult to, to, to solve it one, uh, you know, one-to-one. And I believe that if we are within that umbrella, we can discuss about so many issues that are affecting us, number one. And then, you know, a project is always named after something. You know, Women Initiative the Gambia. And then our first project that we implement is, you know, one plastic bag or recycling plastic bag. But we are recycling so many different activities. We are recycling so many different things. Because project is just to start it. But when you start it, it's just like you have a seed and you sow it on the soil. So when it germinate, germinated, it tends to start to bring so many branches. And then when it has branches, you know, it starts start to fruiting. Then that's where benefits come in. We were never expecting that with this project we can generate any income. But thank God now, with the little idea that we have, protecting the environment, doing a proper waste management, you know, we have so many ideas that is coming in. One, we recycle plastic bags, we recycle bicycle tires, we recycle any other thing related to plastic, we recycle them because we are advocating for no burning any plastic. So anything that related to plastic, we definitely want to make sure that we, re we recycle them. But recycling is not the only problem that affected us around the environment. There are so many trees that we cut around where I live, and no one, uh, you know, replaced them. And we always educate the people to know the relationship between the, the environment or the yeah, the, the environment and our lives. Because without trees, we cannot have good health. And we, are, we have a project that we are planting so many trees. And the women, they are doing it. And then we look at the way people abuse the, 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 the forest. Some people, they will go and say that they are going to do beekeeping. But what I learned from them is, and the way I observe them, they are not doing beekeeping, but they are doing bee killing. And I realize that. And what they are doing is, when they see, the, they see the bees on top of a tree, they will have fire and then climb on the tree and then burn around that end. So all the bees, they will die and they will harvest the, 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 the honey. But what I realize is when they harvest the honey, they will not have a pure honey because the honey has already burned. And then there will be no, 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 no bees again. And at the end of the day, you know, you know the fire will be uncontrolled and the whole environment will be born, and we will lose all those trees, and we will lose all the opportunities that we have on the, on the forest. So my, my organization, we create uh, an avenue for them, put all the beekeepers together, and then educate them a simple beekeeping of, uh, you know, avenues, whereby they will get the honey, and leave the bees there, and then the bees will continue working, and they will have a pure honey. And then at the end of the day, they can make product related to beekeeping, they can make body cream out of the honey, the wax. They can make soap out of the wax. And they can make candle out of the wax. So this is what our project is doing. We want to make sure that people know the value of the environment and make sure that we protect it in a better way.
Thank you. So obviously, um, here in America, I'm assuming that most people who are here tonight are very interested in helping the environment and also how we can empower women in developing countries such as the Gambia. So what advice would you give to people on what they have to know or what they can do if they want to start or help eco-projects or working with women in developing countries like the Gambia? Uh, what I would advise them is, yes, working with everybody is important. And I believe that everybody wants to you know, make benefit of whatever they want to do. And whatever you want to do, you, need, you are expecting to have an impact. And I believe that based on my experience, women organizations, working with them is really important. And then if you want to work with Africa or any other projects out of America or out of the development countries, try to sit back and think about what you want to do. You know, make some plans and then Google anything what, that you want to do and see who is doing it in Africa and then you try to, you know, connect with that person. Know what that person is doing and what do you want to add to what that person is doing. Then if you do, if you do it in that way, perhaps you will get what you need. Because it's very important to have somebody in, on the ground who will tell you the culture, who will tell you things, how things move very well and how things, you know, what is wrong and what is right. They'll be able to help you based on your plan. You know, I think success can happen. Because with the women's group today, most of them, what we are advocating, because I can use myself as a, as a sample. My education is very low, very, very low. And the reason why I'm really stick into this project is I want to make sure that the next generation, they will not suffer like I do. And so many people, they were asking me, you know, all the problems that you encountered with this project, why you didn't give up? And I believe, and I, my response always is I should not give up. Because if I give up, you know, so many people or people who are coming, the next generation, they will suffer. And I don't want them to suffer like I do. So I have to make sure that the idea that I have, the experience that I have, I see it to everybody who really interested, so that the next generation, they will have an easy life. Because if we don't start it for them, you know, in the next generation, they will find it difficult as we do. And I don't want to see that happen. So that is, that is what is always motivating me to move better. So I think if we do that, at the end of the day, the next generation will be easier than today. Thank you very much, Isatu. What I'd like to do now is take audience questions. So if you have a question, just um, raise your hand, and I believe that... Um, a microphone will come around, or you can come and stand by the microphone if you're close to it. Yeah, just come and stand. Yeah, if you can come over here and use the mic, it's easier than trying to run around. Okay, wonderful. So anyone who has a question, you can feel free to go over to the microphone and ask. And feel free to ask questions about the book, about the Gambia, about women, or about the environment. You know, any questions is, you know, is important. That's what I believe, you know. Even if you know that you know it already, there is somebody next to you who doesn't know. So we have to help one another. And then feel comfortable to ask anything that's related to the project that we are doing. And then we really need partners everywhere, everywhere in the world. So that at the end of the day, we'll make it better. Hi. I've heard that in Rwanda, um, plastic bags have been outlawed and banned. Has that happened at all in, in the Gambia or yeah. other areas? Yeah, that is part of our long-term plan because we have long-term plan and short-term plan. The short-term plan was to move, to put everything on place so that everybody know that this is what is happening. Then the long-term plan is to make strategies of how can we make it into law because if we want to do that, we have to put it into law and we have to have to grapple with it. You know, we have to work it together with the government so that everybody knows that this is what is happening. But it is part of our long-term plan. 
And have, has the, does the government seem receptive at all? Have you the gotten that far? The government are very, very supportive with this project. They do all what they can to motivate us. They, do, they give us all the environment to work together. And they, you know, whatever, things, whatever advice that we need from them, they really give it to us. And we are really appreciative. We really appreciate it, and it, you know, give us, you know, confidence to do what we are doing. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. Uh, hi. Um, I, I commend you on your, your work. Thank uh, you. I, I'd like to. You mentioned I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was an extremely low percentage of plastic that is recycled. I think you said five percent or two percent, mm -hmm. but a very small amount. Based on your experiences here that you've written about in the book and that you worked through, what would you recommend and what can be done to do that on a larger scale? Well, I'll go first and I'll say that um, recycling plastic bags, the numbers, the statistics that I came across were very, very low. But my solution is not necessarily to up the number of bags recycled. It's the first R, which is refuse to take it in the first place. If we refuse to take it, you know, it can trickle back up the chain. Fewer will be produced in the first place. And I think that, for me, is what I work on educating with kids, especially about single-use plastics. Um, the Plastic Pollution Coalition and other organizations are really working on the education about refusing to take plastic in the first place on our end. It's not something maybe that will have a big impact, you know, one person in my life, but the power, I think, of, of unity or a lot of people doing that is refusing to take single-use plastics and being vocal about it, I think is, for me, one way that we can really uh, curb that, um, that issue. And the other thing that I want to contribute to that is if you look at the Gambia, we have no plastic factory. But because of business link, if you go to all shops now, they are full of plastic. So the only thing that we can do to break the gap is to you know, replace our mind back. The, the tool that we were using, the material that we were using, and they are re reusable. How can we bring those ones back and then use them again? Because they are, they are bringing the plastic because of business purpose, and they forget about the impact. They forget about the problems that it's going to cause. The only thing that they are looking at is the money. So we who are using it, we have to sit and think about our future. How can we make it better? Because it will be a, an opportunity for them. If we say no to plastic and we don't use it anymore, then they can change the products that they were bringing and bring another product. So I think we have to stick into that. And then I know that it's very difficult because we used to you know, use plastic so many times, but we were really forgetting about our life. But now we realize that it's a problem. So we have to change, but it will take little time. But we have to stick into it and then make it happen. So I guess in the meantime, here we have the recycle your plastic bags here can canisters in the stores. It's making sure that we do that. Is that, does that, is that what you're looking for? Yeah, I, I, I have a journalistic background, so I do want to follow up on that. You gave, both gave great answers, but, and, and she somewhat touched on that. In the meantime, yeah. I understand refuse, but at this point, there's plastic everywhere. Mm -hmm. Again, with that in mind, is there something that can be done? I don't know if you or if you put, is there anything that can be done on a larger scale to deal with 
as we work on education, which is what you're doing, and I know I assume Greenworks is doing, are that what kinds of things can be done to take the plastic that is already out there and do something productive with it, something like what they do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think Isotu's idea yeah. is just um, I think creative ideas. Is recycling them can be kind of one of part of the uh, solution. Could you speak up just a little bit about that? What I'm saying here is like, do you think uh, recycling them, okay. you know, put them into products? Right. You know, is that you know number you know one you know part of the things that we can do to solve the problem that is already on board? Mm -hmm. So I think if we recycle them, you know, make sure that we control them. Because with our recycling, you know, anything that's dropped, we put it into good use. We put it into something that will definitely control it. Mm -hmm. Because when we are cutting the plastic to cross them, you know, anything dropped, we put them, we cross another circle and put it inside and make it a football, that, like a softball, sure. that we can give the kids. Mm -hmm. Because we don't want anything to skip. So I think the, the things that have already, you know, that have already produced, we have to f find out and we have to be creative to see how best we can calm it down before, you know, what we are expecting will happen. Okay. I think, so I guess, you know, mm -hmm. all of us have something to do. All of us have, you know, to assign ourselves something to do with it so that, you know, together we can make it happen because so many, you know, like the people who are sitting here, each and every one of us maybe have ideas that we can work together and then at the end of the game, we'll get rid of it. Okay. That's I, what I think. I think that, that basically answers it. I, I, to control it. I actually it. met so it's, mm. some young men who did exactly what you were talking about, took plastic and made soccer balls out of it. They were from Darfur, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. um, I was just wondering if there were other things. I mean, I understand recycling, but is there a way to increase awareness beyond your book mm -hmm. and that on a larger scale to do that on a more massive scale. I mean, I appreciate exactly what you're saying. Recycle, first refuse, but in the interim, recycle. How can we? And I think in that, what I think is like teamwork can help. Because mm -hmm. if you work together, like a team, exchange ideas, you know, we'll have a bigger one. Mm -hmm. You know, that will definitely, you know, take it away and then easily make, you know, mm -hmm. things easier. I, but I think the, the best thing that we can do is work together you know, put so many ideas together and then find solutions. And, and I, I agree with what Isotu said about right now, while we don't necessarily have a way to recycle all kinds of plastic, is turning it into something or controlling it, keeping it out of the environment, you know, as people are working on what can we do with it in the future. For example, the, the plastic purses that she recycles, they're not going to go away when, you know, maybe the, the zipper breaks or something, you have to put a new zipper on it. But if for a while, sort of a holding tank of what we have. We use it, we're using the plastic, it's there. And then technologies continue to develop every day. And what we can do is work together with scientists is that that purse down the road, we may have a way to recycle that plastic bag purse down the road. I don't know of anything invented yet, but if we, at least now, it's not in the environment. Great. Thank you very much. I thank appreciate you. what you're thank doing. You. I commend you and thank you for putting up with my uh, Thank questions. You. Thank, Thank you. you. As to, you mentioned how your long-term plan was to limit the use of plastic bags. I was wondering, Miranda, if, well, our city council has been talking about um, stopping the use of plastic bags here, 
Have you been brought into any of those type of debates in the U.S., or has your book been used in any way to help further those type of discussions? You know, the book just came out, and so I haven't received any official invitation, but I would love an invitation from any city who wants me to come and demonstrate. I'll be on the front lines with you. I would love that. I did apply for a book festival um, in a community that is actively trying to ban plastic bags. I haven't heard back yet on whether or not I'm, I'd be invited to speak there, but I, I would love that opportunity. And the, the, the word really is spreading about this book very quickly. It just came out about two and a half months ago. Um, and we've learned uh, it's sort of the perfect storm, apparently, of the right time with all of the issues that the book addresses is um, we've been overwhelmed with the positive uh, support that has come in from the book. And so many people are working on these issues that it's really inspiring to us that we don't feel alone. We don't have to necessarily work in these tiny individual grassroots cells that we can all really come together. And I'm hoping that, I mean, obviously not just because of this book, but because of so many great people who are working on the plastic bag issues and other environmental issues, that this can be a catalyst. And if, in, in any way that it can be, I would love to be contacted. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. So you mentioned at the beginning that uh, it's a children's book, but it has these adult themes. But we've been talking only about adult themes. I'm wondering if you could talk to how kids have reacted to the book um, or how, how kids have reacted to the, the work being done on the ground in the Gambia. Yeah, kids have been um, very receptive. Um, some of the things about Isotu's story that I think resonated with me in my own childhood but also resonate with kids is having an idea and not being listened to. Kids can really resonate with that idea. I mean, how many crazy ideas do kids come up with all the time? And they're gonna work at it and see what happens and see what comes out of it. And there are often grown-ups who try to talk them out of it or tell them which way to go or what to do. Um, and that very aspect, just by its nature, I think kids have really grabbed onto that. But one thing that has been an impact of the, there's, there's two really big impacts that we've seen that aren't necessarily environmental impacts, but we have seen um, kids in many of the schools that we've gone to, um, they don't have a very good understanding of Africa today. And when they see the car in the book or when they see our um, presentation about, you know, about the Gambia and we talk about how kids love to watch TV or movies and even Isotu makes recycled videotape products, they get this confused look on their face like people have video players or TVs in Africa. So we've learned that there's still a long way to go about global education and what life is like in other countries, particularly developing countries. But then also we've seen a lot of positive reaction from kids, especially kids who are from another country or who's, uh, who speak another language to have this book um, come up. A lot of kids have been saying, oh, she's like me, um, in, in especially in schools that, where the demographics aren't particularly diverse. We've had uh, students, you know, one student raised her hand, a second grader, and she said, you know, my parents are from another country too. I'm from Syria, and Isatu was just really her hero, someone she could latch on to when every day she was the other sort of kid, and then immediately she had a sparkle in her eye seeing Isatu. 
So that has been a pretty big reaction. Um, but kids have been really empowered by our recycling idea contest, too. They, immediately, they want to get started. How can they? What, what do they throw away? They think about all the things they threw away just that day and what they could have turned it into instead of throwing it away. And been working with them, like, based on my experience with the tour, within the tour, the questions that they used to ask me, it's really amazing because most of them, they're asking me, why you didn't stop? When everybody was saying, no, 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 why you didn't stop? And how, how did you do to make sure that it happens? You know, how, why, why did you start? They are right that you're young. Why did you start when you're young? I said, that's the right time you should start thinking. Because even right now, both of you who is sitting here, you can start thinking what you want to do, what you want to change. Because there are so many things that is around us, and we need to make a change. It's not only plastic, there are so many things. So think about what you want to do, and then you do it when you're young. That is better. Because that's right now, you know, the ideas that you have is very important. You have to make sure that you make good use of them. And I think it was really helping, and we have so many of them who ask so many questions, you know, and I think they will make good use of it. Hi, thank you for the uh, talk. We have a store in Baltimore at, at 10,000 Villages, a fair trade store, mm -hmm. and they have uh, like recycled products, uh, baskets made out of reprinted newspapers, things like this. So I'm just curious about your the marketing of your purses. Is it in just in Gambia or other countries in West Africa, or and have you thought about marketing it through something like 10,000 Villages? Thank you. Yeah, we will be very happy to have connection, you know, in the marketing issue because it's a problem. It's not only the plastic products that we make. We make so many different products. And then our bigger problem is, you know, marketing, sell them so that the women, they will have money to be able to solve some of their problems. Because all the money that the women collect from this project, that's what they use to empower their girl child to go to school because that's our problem. We have, you know, in our culture, you know, if you have two, a family of two, one boy and a girl, we tend to send the boy to, to school and then the girl will stay at home because we believe that, you know, at the end of your 15, 16 years, you will have a guy who is coming to marry you. But they never think about after the marriage what is going to happen. So we believe that education is very important and it's our top priority as women. So we are really advocating that. So all the income that the women are having from this project we train them on how to take care of the money so that they will be able to open a bank account and save the money and make sure that they follow their girl child to go to school to finish. You know, starting school is important, but the most important part is to finish to have your degrees and have your documents. That will going to help you to have a, you know, a better life because whatever you have in your mind is important. But if people give you money every day, that is what I'm saying. Don't give me money. Educate me. If you educate me, you, you make my life better. So that is what we are advocating, mm -hmm. and it's really important. But our bigger problem, our biggest problem is how to market things. Mm -hmm. So, you and know, we mm -hmm. love to share ideas, and we want to learn, and we want to know how best we can make it happen, mm -hmm. if there is any opportunity. Yeah, there are a few fair trade stores in the U.S. Um, very, on a very small scale that sell these uh, items. And one thing that, that comes up, obviously, is these women are making these products without any electricity or water. They're very handmade. And they're not factory produced, and uh, sometimes invitations for their products come on a scale that the women who are doing all of the housework at home and um, everything cannot necessarily compete on a global level. And so it's very important that small organizations 
fair trade stores individually or wholesalers and distributors who are willing to work under, you know, under those conditions that products may take a little bit of time to be made, that they may each look a little bit different. Um, those kinds of organizations um, are great. Those kinds of artisan organizations are great. And those are the kinds of places ISATU is looking to connect with. And the other thing that I want to make clear here is like the project started in the Gambia, but we will be very happy to link it to other countries. If anybody interested to move it to any other country in Africa, you know, we will be very happy to, you know, connection, connect, have connection with those people mm -hmm. because we want to do it because we know, you know, the problem that we are facing, that's, you know, all over the world. So we'll be very happy to drag the idea that we have in anywhere as long as we can get access to that place. Okay. Um, in the interest of time, because I know the Ivy Books shop has the books out there and also Isotu's purses um, for sale, we'll take the two questions from the two people who are in line. Okay. Um, hi. Uh, I, um, I, have some I have limited experience with um, a teacher. At, I teach at night and a lot of my students are Africans. And uh, they're privileged Africans who are hoping to take some technology. I, I teach renewable energies and sustainability in Boston. I'm here for the day. So thank you for tonight. Thank you. Thank you very much. But one of the things that is constantly occurring for me is all of my students are trying to apply a, a Western capitalism to their return to Africa. And it struck me about the point at which you began your project that money, this form of capitalism that we all see as reality here, didn't even occur to you. And yet it seemed to be your most powerful time. And I wonder if if that really isn't the secret to some of your empowerment, is that it was without concern for whether it would be a positive cash flow business or whether it would bring you the opportunities that you've succeeded with. Is that, is that part of the message that somehow your message, that, that you did it almost from a place from your being, right, your heart, rather than kind of business plan. He's, I think he's saying, do you think the reason for your success for this project and why it's gone on so long was because at first it wasn't just about money and business because you had another bottom line was the environment? Yeah, I think it's, it's more of not about money. Because, you know, for me when I was doing it, I was doing it because I see the problem and I want to solve it. I want to contribute towards it. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it happens because if I believe that if you are doing things and you do it with, you know, with your heart, you know, anything can happen. When I was started this project, I was even never think that there will be any income part of it. My concern was the environment and the people. How can I make sure that I save them? How can I make sure that they understand that this is a problem and they avoid it? But at, at, the, at the end, you know, because of creativity and then think very deep, you know, this come, come alongside. But it was not my expectation that we will have money at the end of the day. But my concern was how can I make sure that we protect the environment and people who are living in, within it. 
I think that is the, you know, the commitment that I have. And I think that is, the, that is the secret that I have, and it makes it happen. Because if it is money, that is why I was working. The first time I have money, I will stop. But I, I will never stop. With money, without money, my concern is the people, and I will work very hard to make it happen. So I don't know whether that answers your question. What is that? Uh I think it's something that maybe is something we can discuss afterwards, but the idea of generating income, had, had ICG's project not generated income, I mean, she would have kept working, but would she have attracted 100 other people to work with her, and now she's trained 249 other people, and it's grown over 17 years, is that the income generation component may seem very capitalistic from our point of view, but in a community where people live uh, in poverty, is that income generation and thinking about money is almost being in survival mode and it's something that culturally I think has to be considered is that it's, it's all well and good to volunteer but in a completely different situation where if you're working for no pay every day of your life you or your family members may die it's something that you know we have a lot of times a, a privilege to be able to work on our passions without thinking about the money component and perhaps, and I can't speak for your African students that you work with, but sometimes the idea of, of money may come first just because of the idea that, that money means stability and not having to think about where and, your next meal comes from. And the other thing that I want to add to that, I know time is going, but we have to clear this. Because when I started this project, I have so many problems that, you know, because of, you know, questions coming, I can mention them. But when I started my first training, to a village. They rejected me. Because other organizations who were training them, they pay them money to train them. But at the end of the day, when they leave, the project will die. Because the money that is why they're going, but they are not committed to what they were, they, they were trained. But for me, the training that I, the, 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 the system that I have, is I want to empower them. Empowering them is to show them how, how they can get money and how they can sustain that money for their better future. I will never pay them, but I will educate them and I will feed them when I'm training them. But I will never pay them because the money that they should have and it's sustained with them, they are the ones who should work on it and they need to know the way of working on it and the way of sustaining and the way of planning the money to stay with them forever. And these are the opportunities that we gave them. We gave them training on entrepreneurship, how to start a business. If you start a business, how can you make sure that your business is survived? And then how, what are the systems that you should put in place to put your money into, you know, invest your money within the business and then you have your salaries as the person who is running the business and then save some money in case if the business has problems. These are the, strategy, uh, the strategies that we gave them. And then, you know, they started it and they keep going because so many women, they started business before us and it collapsed because they don't know what is income, what is expenditure, what is that, what is that. So they started things so many years and it doesn't work. But they need to have the education of how to move their life on their own. 
without anybody they take care of it. Because if I give them money today, if I'm not there, they will sit again. But if I give them the opportunities and the opportunities to learn and the technique, they will be able to take care of their lives without me. So I think when we think about sustainability, education is the top priority so that they will be able to move it without anybody. So that's the strategy that I use and it is really working. And so many women who started business, their business is growing and they know how to separate the money because if you are working in anything, you need to be salaried yourself. And they know how to take out of their own, you know, labor work within the business. And then they know that the business needs money and they know that they need to save something if there is any problem. So they employ themselves and they're working and it's working better. So, but if I used to give them money, whenever they see me, they will run towards me because they're expecting money. But when I go, they will sit the same place. So I think we need to, you know, try to put that into consideration too if we are looking for sustainability. You know, empower the people on the ground so that they will work on it if you are not there. Thanks for the work that you're doing. It's very incredible. Thank you. It's also um, the story of the two of you coming together to make this a world message. Could you just speak to that, of how you got to know each other so that you could write this book that we could see you before us? Okay, great. Yeah, so this is kind of a 12-year story. <laughs> um, I first went to the Gambia in 2003. I was asked by a professor, uh, Bill Roberts, who heads the Gambia Peace Program at St. Mary's College of Maryland, where I went to school, and there's some <laughs> alum in the, in the crowd here. Uh, and uh, when I was there, I met amazing people. I taught under very different circumstances um, when I was starting the teacher internship exchange. And one thing that I saw was this trash problem. Here we have this nice tidy thing where garbage trucks pick our garbage up and are recycling every Wednesday, at least where I live it's Wednesday, and we never have to see it. We still create, we create even more trash than people in the Gambia do, but we don't have to walk past it every day, we don't have to smell it, we don't have to see the mosquitoes breeding in it. And for me, I saw it as such a big problem and I kind of thought, oh, it's, it's past the point of no return, this problem. Then someone handed me a recycled plastic purse and said, there's this woman up in this village in the middle of the country, like getting there takes like a whole day just to get there. Uh, and she's tired of it. She's cleaning it up. And she's got a few women who are working with her and they make these bags. And the, the bag was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. And so it started with, oh, I'm going to buy as many bags as I can, show them all around to people. This is so cool. Take them home as souvenirs. But I've been back to the Gambia five times, but I said I need to meet this woman when I come back after my teaching stint. And I came back and I went to the Peace Corps office because I knew she had some connections there. I said, can you give me her phone number? And I'm going to just try to call her, a shot in the dark. And so I, when I was in Gambia, I just called her. I said, you don't know me. I'm really inspired by what you do. I want to know more about it because um, I don't know very many Gambians who recycle. And, uh, and she said, sure, she'd agree to come meet me. And so she came all the way down to the city um, just to meet with a stranger. And from then on, that was about a little more than eight years ago, we've been very good friends. Um, I got to interview the women in the village, um, spent a lot of time in Cambia learning the culture, learning about what the life is like for the women who do this. I mean, they weave on their way to the well with babies on their backs. They, they crochet while the, the fire is is cooking while the pots are boiling, the rice is cooking. I mean, all of these different things, these women are just walking around the village, like crocheting as they walk. It's 
It was incredible, and, and just hearing her and knowing more of her life story, I mean, this is, this is the tip of the iceberg, guys. <laughs> There's so much more to this woman and her life. Um, really inspired me, and I was working a lot in fair trade. I was writing articles on education, um, it, it, but it empowered me when I was writing for children, and I'm a teacher, as to this, this story needed to get out, and I learned that stories and the media and whose story gets told is somewhat of a political thing, and uh, when I started, when we started writing the book um, about it, we, we did hear quite a few comments that this is very niche, this, this is not marketable, it's not commercial. Um, but, but again, I, I was in it, like I said here, I wasn't in it for the money. Uh, this story needed to be told. This is the, the, the stories that were never told to me about Africa when I was young is that there are people who are very hardworking. There are, there are people who have just genius ideas, and they're doing it despite great hardships. Uh, they are inspiration to all of us. And so Isatu is here educating children in America about what she does, and they are taking their inspiration and leadership from her. And that is something that I couldn't give up despite those reduction letters. We had to, uh, we had to bring this story, and we're so glad that it's been received so incredibly well that they're actually doing the second printing of the book just two months after it came out. So... That is, yeah, that is how we met in, in, very short, in a very short term. But, so thank you very much uh, for coming. I, I really hope that we get to chat with some of you individually. And um, Isitu's got quite a few of her products, and she'll be showing them out at the table. She's got purses, she's got recycled tire jewelry, all of that kind of thing. So we hope that we get to one-on-one go from here and turn all this talk into action. So thank you.